0: Hello and welcome to episode five of the Chris Wokes podcast, commonly known as Cow Corner. I'm here with Glenn. Firstly, how are you? Good. Thank you for checking in, Dan. Always, Glenn. Always. (laughs) And we have a very special guest for this, our fifth episode. From five minutes outside the Oval in London, England, uh, William Singh. How are you?
1: Hello, boys. How are you?
0: Unbelievable. Uh, as, (laughs) as, As we already, you know. Uh, got down to each other. I think Will talk talk to me about yourself. How is your cricket knowledge gonna, you know, impart itself on Cal Corner uh, this week? Why are you here?
1: Oh, my cricket knowledge is hopeless, as, as Glenn knows from his year of experience. Um, <laughs> but I can claim to be a fair bit closer to a cricket ground than our American correspondent. Uh, so hopefully, bringing some of that knowledge. <laughs>
0: well, that, that's what I like about you being the guest. Is we've got Glenn, who is I don't know how many thousands of miles away. And Will, who is literally, you know, a walk away from the Oval. Glenn, how are you going to, you know, support your distance from cricket to anything you say in this next hour?
2: I know. What can I offer? It's, it's certainly not geography. Um, I think, you know, we're a, a real love of the game and I've had a lot of spare time today.
0: So I've read a lot of cricket. Info. <laughs> That's about what I can say. Fantastic. Well, uh, great to have you all both here and us all together as always. And we're here, obviously, to talk about the fantastic test match. The first test between England and Pakistan. Um, it was Old Trafford again. I'm sure they're quite thankful to have all the England players out of their hotel by the end of this. Um, <laughs> a, a stunning four days of cricket that I think had everybody gripped from ball one. We'll obviously come into this as we go on through the podcast. Uh, I'll give a quick summary of the game. Pakistan's first innings, 326 all out. Shaan Massoud with a fantastic 156. His third consecutive 100 uh, opening the, back, uh, the batting for Pakistan. Uh, a great knock from Baba, 69, and Shadab down the order of 45. Uh, led to a very competitive first-inning score. Um, Archer and Broad with three wickets apiece, uh, leading the England bowling attack. England's response to that, uh, 219, a very disappointing 219 all-out. Uh, a little top-order collapse, one that we haven't seen for quite a while. Uh, an important partnership between Pope and Butler. And some runs down the order again from Stuart Broad. Got us to 219 all-out. Uh, that was a pretty big deficit as Pakistan came into their second innings. 169 all-out they managed in their second. A good fight back from England. Uh, broad with three wickets. And Stokes, who wasn't supposed to bowl, of course, still gets two for 11. Um, such as, as he is the cricketer. Uh, Pakistan's top score was Yasir Shah, 33. Who sort of changed the momentum on the start of the fourth day with a quick-fire knock. And then quite historically, I think it will end up is is England's 277 for seven, which meant they won the match by three wickets. Uh, Joss Butler was 75. Chris Wokes with 84. An unbelievable partnership after England were 117 for five on an absolute snake pit of a wicket in which Pope and Stokes got out to to balls that just spat in their face and told them to get off the pitch. It was an amazing test match. Um, England win it in the end. Another fourth innings chase, so many storylines. Glenn, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think about all of what I've just said? What was that test match to you?
2: Oh, it was thrilling! I I can't really believe that it was four days. Like I wanted, I wanted more. But I I mean, there's so much to dig into. I mean, Pakistan really shouldn't have thrown the game away, and I think um their captain, Azhar Ali, is is really disappointed. His post match interviews, he gave credit to England, where I think it was due. Definitely on a personal level for for Butler and Wokes with their match winning partnership in that second England innings. But really, this isn't a game Pakistan should have been losing from the position they were in. I think I think the game really switched um in Pakistan's second innings when they if they honestly I think when the new ball came in and we will get onto this a little bit later but when the new ball came in towards the end of England's second innings I still thought Pakistan had a chance and if they had just got to 200 in their second innings instead of a really sloppy 169 all out um, which as you said was partially credit to Yasir, like with 33 the tail ender came and really made the score Um, slightly better than what it was because they could have been all out for under 150, which is not good enough at a test level. Um, It was a real shame. So I think if they just had even 30 more runs to play with coming into that second innings, they might have defended it. I think they probably would have. I think they were slightly naive with their with some of the uh, captaincy decisions. I think some field placings um, were poor in the second innings from Pakistan. But at the same time, England really didn't really do that well. I thought they were disappointing, especially in the batting, higher up the order. You know, in the first innings, we relied on Pope and Butler. And in the second, as we, as we all enjoyed, we saw a really constructive Butler-Works partnership. But that really doesn't detract from the fact that our top order didn't really fire. Um, we haven't seen a big score um, from Root again in a match, and our opening two, Burns and Sibley, weren't as convincing as they usually are. Um, you could see Sibley's annoyance when he got out to Yashir in that second innings because he was building a very careful innings, and I liked how he got his head down. But yeah, a load of talking points. I mean, it was, and you know, the bottom line is we won. It was a remarkable win, like we uh, fantastic, and credit to England for winning. And Pakistan will be really, really disappointed they couldn't hold on to that because. I think they really should have won.
0: Will, give me your thoughts on that stunning test. I think everyone's sort of taken a couple of days to sort of take it all in. Like, <laughs> like Glenn said, I wish there was a fifth day, but luckily we had today to sort of, you know, reflect on that. What are your thoughts on the game?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree at all with um, with most of what Glenn said. I think the first takeaway is just what a brilliant Test match and how good it is to have cricket back, um, especially Test cricket back after the... I would say borderline unwatchable at times, ODI series with Ireland. Brilliant to have actual cricket back. Having said that, again, and I will, cards on the table, full disclosure, I am an India fan when it comes to cricket. <laughs> so okay. I, I have, have no, <laughs> just, just get it on the table so that <laughs> if, we, if we have any fans, they can send us hate mail direct. Um, but so I, I've got kind of no no love lost for, for either team, Um when it comes to test cricket. But, but I do have to say, I think neither of them will be thrilled by the performance. Um, mm-hmm. as, as Glenn said, it was, um, it was a bit like the Ireland games in the sense of England sort of won the game and in the case of Ireland, not in the case here, won convincingly, but you're still not thrilled with how, with how they played and how the game went down. Lots of problems, but still lots of positives to Pakistan. And I think mm-hmm. the Pakistan captain will be massively disappointed at the way they managed to throw the game away. But with that being said, he'll be looking at that team and looking at the way his bowlers at times performed, some of his batsmen performed versus the way the England counterparts did and thinking we can win test two and three. No question.
0: I, I totally agree with that. And I think what I'm finding so interesting about the sort of fallout from today and probably tomorrow and then coming to the build up of the second test is as Ali's captaincy, I don't even want to start there because for me, and I think from what you both said, that is where the game was lost mm-hmm. And it was pretty much there at 117 for five in England's second innings for them to just skittle out what was an extended tail. Um, no disrespect to Chris Wokes, um, as is, this is Chris Wokes podcast, but um, it is an extended tail. England dropped that extra batsman. And once Pope went to that filthy delivery from Shaheen that just leapt off a length and, you know... Pope had no way to play that there's no way Chris Wokes who was averaging I think six coming into this innings Mm -hmm. was thinking Mm -hmm. right okay cool I'm gonna see the boys home here with my friend Joss who's given away 150 runs um this game which again (laughs) (laughs) we later on um you know there was no England had no right to win this game I don't think at any point uh Pakistan's 326 was very competitive England simply didn't put enough runs on in their second innings yes they fought back in that third innings but Yassir's start of day four, like Glenn said, took that away to a high 200 score. And I agree that if it was a 300 score, that might have been mentally a bit hard to take over. So England, until midway through that uh, Wokes-Butler partnership, or maybe at 80 for one, thought only thought they could win that. So that was on day four. So should we talk briefly about Azar Ali? He is a fairly young captain. I think he's only had nine games in charge. He's only won games at home or in the UAE where their home games were previously played uh, what do we think of him he's going to get a lot of 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 flack from Pakistani and English journalists watching this game so what what do we think
2: i can hop in just because i just finished a really good article on espn cricket and Folk, literally about this about his captaincy and his loss of personal form is quite extraordinary. So in his last 12 away test innings, he's only managed 139 runs, and he Jeez. hasn't gone over 40 in that time. And in that, in those 12 um, test innings, he scored three ducks, including the one in the first innings here. And he's failed to cross single digits a remarkable eight times. So what we're seeing is someone who clearly isn't firing with the bat. That's quite obvious. He didn't look particularly comfortable in both innings. He looked nervous, I think, which isn't necessarily what you expect and what you want from your captain. I think you want that calmness, especially in the crease. And I think you can definitely see this correlation between the captaincy really occupying his attention the same way we've seen for Joe Root, struggling sometimes with the bat when he's captaining England. And I can understand it. It's a common problem um, with a lot of captains, especially young captains, because they're not used to um this this dual responsibility right because he's still on paper one of the best um one of the best batsmen in the side so i think if we look at it through that lens through his batting struggling i'm not surprised that he's not enjoying the captaincy as perhaps as much as he should do and yeah they made sloppy decisions you could even see if there was a third slip in place when wokes hit the running runs off that off that edge you know that would have been another wicket and then suddenly Obviously, I know four isn't, isn't, you know, we're not talking about defending that total, but what it would have meant is we needed runs fully into the tail, and I still think Pakistan would have had a chance if Wokes had got out with that shot. So there were some disappointing fielding decisions. He took too long to put um, to put um, Yashir back on um, to bowl. I think he delayed that too much when he clearly looked like the most aggressive Pakistan bowler. Yeah, just a bit, a bit disappointing. And reading those stats about his batting, it, it, yeah, it's it's no surprise that he might be struggling with the captaincy as well.
0: Well, I think, yeah, I agree with Glenn and I wanted to just see what you think about this. Um, it was interesting that as soon as Butler and Wokes came in, the runway went sky high uh, and that pushed the field back. And as Glenn sort of came to there, they were after wicket, England need 20 runs with four wickets left. Why weren't they pushing for wicket? Do you think he's got an answer for these things or, you know, is he just a young captain struggling?
1: To be honest, personally, it looked like they'd run out of ideas um, as soon as Butler and Wokes got past sort of 50 or so each the main problem that I was seeing was not so much the fielding but the bowling because they just, they kept giving it to Shaheen Afridi and Yassir Shah at the other end to basically increasingly look desperate for wickets. Yassir played brilliantly. Shaheen, young bowler, pretty inexperienced, clearly got talent and bowled brilliantly other parts of the test match. But he just went over, over, after over, after over, clearly desperate for the wicket to the point where they were conceding runs they didn't need to concede. And at no point did the captain seem to even go over and have a word and say, this is what I want you to bowl let alone take him out of the attack and try some of the other bowlers to have a go. Um, So it did just kind of look like they'd run out of ideas. They knew they needed a wicket. He threw it to his best bowlers, set up a fairly conventional field and saw what happened.
0: I'll confess I was out on Saturday and didn't watch much of the fourth day. I did watch BBC's uh, Today at the Test Highlights, so an hour long. That's not that right. (laughs) Anyway, they kept panning to Ali with his head in his hands at, like you said, Will, roughly halfway... To a hundred runs through that uh, Butler and Works partnership, and that sort of body language surely isn't going to be great for his young, extremely young Barja'ser bowling attack. If we come to you know the test as a whole, can we start with Pakistan's bowling? Yeah. Because for me, we know about Abbas, especially in England. Shaheen Shah is very—he's young, but I've seen him around—and then you've got um, the young 17-year-old pace bowler who has sort of wowed the cricketing world. What do we think of this attack? And barring the second innings, which I agree, well, they were struggling for ideas. What do we think of this attack? You know, what are the highlights for it? And what do we expect for the next two tests from them? Um, I think
2: I think it's a really exciting attack. That's that's for sure. You mentioned the relative youth of it, Dan, which um, which I think is a really good point. And what I liked is I think I'm going to just talk about spin briefly, um, because what you could see is the difference, especially in comparison with the West Indies test. Where, although you know with respect to chase and Cornell, they're they're different types of bowlers, like they're much more just like off spin, put it outside off stump, and tie up an end. I loved watching, you know, aggressive leg spinners. It's so refreshing. And you could really see the passion on the pitch, which I think really comes in direct contrast with um, with Azir Ali's um, disappointment, because you could see how he wasn't necessarily enjoying himself um, out on the field captaining. But the, the team, especially the bowlers, I read a lot about on, on Twitter and on, you know, the BBC Live text about, you know, the, the appeals, the loudness, the enthusiasm. And I think that was infectious. I think they were a really fun team to watch. And I think Yasir, especially, I was blown away by just the aggression his bowling showed, the dedication. I mean, even as the total they were defending was shrinking to 30, 20, towards 10, he was still trying googly's, trying flippers, his top spinner, very unlucky not to get a wicket um, with that, with it rearing up against a couple of the England batsmen. I think he's a box of tricks, and him especially, I was just really enjoying watching. Every over of his, I think it's a real sign of a bowler. If the over flies by, you know, you sit down, you expect it to be a couple of minutes. But when someone's really in rhythm and you look, you know, and their over's finished before you think it's even started. At every time you see a bowl, especially towards the end of that fourth day, I just I was really admiring it. So I think he brings something different to the opposition that West Indies didn't really have.
0: It's for me such a better bowling attack than the West Indies offered, Yes. And why I was very shocked to see. England still go a batsman light into this game Uh, we'll come into that when we talk about England and with the Stokes announcement to the day that he won't be available for the next two tests we'll come to that but yeah I think a great point is the sort of loudness of the team at the start of day four the sort of reserve players that have come over to play within the bubble and be there if they need were sort of coring from the the grandstands as Yassir sort of cleared his front leg and was clearing broad to all parts and that energy from the team is fascinating will what do you think about, you know, the team as a whole, let's look at the batting as well. And you know what they're going to offer into the next two tests. And I, I think they showed glimpses of this in this test and I'm still shocked. They lost it to be honest. I thought mm-hmm. we'd be here talking about a Pakistan win and looking mm-hmm. to praise them. I still think we should praise them because they played pretty much the perfect test. So, you know, looking at the whole 11 and what they've got in the reserves, Will, what do you think this, this team can, can look forward to in the next two
1: tests? I think it should take loads of positives in this game. Um, whether it will come in this series or whether it will be years ahead, but the, the two young quicks, Naseem Shah and, and Shaheen, as much as they, they sort of didn't deliver on the last day, they were brilliant in spells, mm-hmm. both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And add to that, that even when you throw in the England bowlers into the mix, by far Yassir was the most exciting player on the pitch. Um, yeah. He was just brilliant to watch. Um, and I, as Glenn said, maybe that is because we've been watching Chase and Cornwall throw it up for, a month. <laughs> but I think I don't think it's just that he he genuinely looked like a really exciting player. So that's that's three who are all going to be playing for a for a few years to come. In terms of tying up for this series, I don't. The worry for them will be that, as you say, they played tactically pretty much the perfect series that they wanted. Um, and they'd be worried that that's sort of the cap of what they can do in England in this series. I hope, I hope that's not the case. It would be good to see some really exciting tests. Um, I think all of their sort of top-order batsmen look like they can go pretty much toe-to-toe with the England batsmen. And one of the, the points that I found interesting, on the, um, on the Sky commentary, they kept talking about Barbara Azam and saying, oh, has, has he put himself into that category with Root and Smith and Coley? And I was thinking, I'd be astonished if we get to the end of this series and Babra Zam hasn't scored many, many more runs than Joe Roode. He he looks mm. as, as well, well above the England captain at the moment in terms of batting. So if he's got a couple of centuries in him, in this test, which on form he looks like he could well do, that could be another another sort of... Massive twist in the tail still to come.
0: Yeah, I think to come on Yassir uh, from my perspective, the guy has so much energy and so much, like the ball fizzes through. And I think if you can watch without crowd noise, and I'm sure the batsman can hear the speed at which he bowls, and even his appeals for LBW are so loud and so sort of vicious that it, it would scare me as a batsman. And I think geez it geez at the rest of the team. Um, so he's going to be world class to watch over the next um, 10, hopefully, days of Test cricket. Um, And yeah, uh, Babarazan was sort of the the talking point coming into this because of his average of about 60 over the past 18 months. But even with his 69 in the first innings, it was Shah Massoud, the opener, who stole the headlines and rightly so for his 150. I was not aware of this player. I was not aware that he was coming in off the back of double hundreds. And before his duck in the second innings was averaging over 200 this calendar year, which is pretty impressive. You know, I agree with Will. I think Pakistan, each of their batsmen in each position has got the same quality, or if not more, than the England, the England batsmen at the in. As much as you say, if Sibley doesn't get you, Burns will, and if Burns doesn't root, I feel like if Massoud doesn't get you, Azar Ali might. If Azar Ali doesn't, uh, Babur Zan will. So, what, uh, Glenn, what do you think of their sort of batting lineup looking forward? Some of them showed up, some of them didn't, but I think we've seen a lot of from them already.
2: Yeah, a lot of great talking points there, Dan. Um, yeah, very much in agreement with Will. So just looking at Azam's averages. Um, so in tests, his average is 44, which is very nice. ODIs, that rises to 54, which is pretty giant. And in T20s, he still averages a half century every game. So he can clearly bat, and he's an excellent, excellent batsman. And he's got used to the conditions. He was playing for Somerset last season. Um, he's a really exciting batsman. He doesn't let Boulder settle. That's what I really like about him. He is quite confident to go on the attack um plays spin very well and he's a really really good batsman i love that line that um that will just said about him getting more runs than root over the series because i hadn't thought of it in that way and i think that's a great point because yeah i think he will um he yeah he looked very convincing in the um in the 69 he got in that first innings he got he got done in by a decent delivery in the second innings but yeah him in particular i find really exciting i haven't quite made up my mind about massoud purely because obviously he's got the form coming into it don't get me wrong he played a wonderful innings but he had those two reprives by butler which is a the keeping is a topic we'll get onto in about 10 minutes but he, he he did have reprives i think in a way he was he was he was lucky to get to the 156, which is not to discredit his batting. He batted beautifully, but on another day, he's gone much earlier. So I, I would love, I'm very much looking forward to seeing him um, in the second game. Again, he got a decent delivery um, when he got out for a duck in the second innings. So yeah, a lot, a lot of really, really exciting batsmen. And it seems like, as we've discussed already in this podcast, that Azar is the weak link in that attack, which is, which is a disappointment as the captain and as, and, and as someone who should be a focal point for the, um, yeah, for the fans.
0: I think if we come into their third innings really briefly, and then we'll sort of go into England after this, 169 all out, uh, a lead of 107, was fairly comfortable to come in with. As a batsman, I'd feel pretty good about that. Will, was their 169 all out an example of their frailties as a batting lineup, Or do you think England bowled really well to claw themselves back into a test match that they had no right to be in come that fourth innings?
1: I mean, you'd have to say it's a bit of both. I wouldn't. Again, I've not seen massive this Pakistan side before this series, so it's it's one to watch whether this is deeper frailties for them. Um, what you would say is a bit like um, some of the, the poor scores from England that we saw in the previous test series against the West Indies. There are scores in there consecutively in a row, which I wouldn't expect to see again from them. Um, as you say, it's kind of like yeah, if the openers don't get you, you've got Bab Razam, you've got even the, um, the keeper, Rizwan, look like he can bat a few if he if he if he sort of doesn't get out so i think it would be surprising if they all put in scores that low again and even then having having players like you see it, you can come in and hit it in the sort of Stuart broad mold for a bit of at the, at the tail is is a useful quality to have so I, I would be surprised if they uh if they hit that low
0: yeah i think i think i'm there i think they're batting attack strong enough Shall we come on to England then? I think we spoke about Pakistan just then as though they won the test. I was fully ready. I had all the sort of (laughs) narratives in my head for that. And rightly so, I think, like you said, there are a lot more an exciting attack than the West Indies offered with the spin and everywhere else, uh, probably. So it's going to make for a great series. I don't know where to start with England because there's so many storylines coming out of it. I think we have to start with Joss Butler. Uh, and we'll talk about Chris Wokes alongside that because he was such an integral part of that final partnership. But Joss, I'll call him Joss, I know him so well, (laughs) I badmouthed him so vehemently in the first podcast, or maybe the second, either way, he was struggling with the bat. And in the first innings, he struggled with the gloves for the first time I've seen him in a long time. He dropped Masood, dropped Masood once, and then missed a stumping on him that allowed him to get that 150. He was very honest in his post-match interviews about how responsible he felt for that and how aware he was of his bad uh, wicket keeping. And that was why perhaps he made those runs Um, for his batting. His first innings felt professional scrappy because the Pakistan attack was bowling so well. I think at 35 was invaluable, even though it wasn't a great score. And then uh, the knock in the second innings was him in one day mode, um, really taking the spinners to it and really helped that innings. Glenn, what do you think of him uh, as a keeper what do you think of his innings this week?
2: Yeah, a lot, a lot to unpack there. Um, I think it's worth referring to uh, Jonathan Agnew's column, which uh, he released on BBC Today, which has a really handy um, comparison. Of international keepers since the 1st of January 2019, it has their average average dismissals per test and their batting average in comparison. So looking at his keeping, because that was I feel like that was the first main talking point. He said in interviews, as you rightly pointed out, Dan, um, he was sorry for his keeping. He thought when he was batting in that second innings that it may well be his last game for England. So he put he, he was under pressure. He really really was. And if we look at the average dismissals per test, he's on 1.8, which is the sixth currently the sixth best um in the world we have de Kock, Payne pain rizwan watling and pant all ahead of him there so
0: is that is sorry is that not sixth worst if we think about test playing nations oh is absolutely yeah so we're at the oh, bottom well, end so, of that
2: oh you're spot on because the the um the the next one below him is bairstow and then we get to and oh. west indies it's a really good it's a really good stat. it's a really good way of visualizing it as well so basically if you're looking, if you think West Indies and Sri Lanka are obviously among the two weaker test nations, especially with their transition teams at the moment, in competitive top test nations, he has the worst current average um, for dismissals per test, which is disappointing. 1.8 is is pretty low You, you for, a, for a keeper anyway. You want to be above that two mark. Um, and then we come to his batting average, which isn't particularly good either. So he's on 26.4, and the only... The only um, a wicketkeeper batsman below him in that top six is, is Tim Payne, who isn't known for his batting. He's known for his captaincy at this point and his keeping. So with those kind of markers for comparison, he is in the he is in the bottom tier um, of, of those wicketkeeper batsmen. So that's disappointing. I think he is under pressure. I think if we focus on just this test alone, um, just talking about Josh Butler, he made three major errors in that first innings. Um, two of them, have we, as we discussed, which really cost England. Um, in terms of a lot of runs. The stumping was especially disappointing. I think he looked annoyed with himself after that. And the batting, he, he he's picked up his batting a little bit. He was really struggling at the start of 2019, and his average as got better. It was 26 for, for, the, for the majority of 2019, and he's upped it to over 30 now. But sometimes stats only say so much. You've got to think about impact on the game, and I feel like he, he was a match winner in this game. And the pressure he was on to score those runs... I think it's remarkable that he did it. And I think we would not have won the game without him and Wokes. Um, we were pretty dead and buried when we were five down. So it's frustrating. I think the question is, Dan, and I'll go to Will first, but is there this case for folks, especially when we're playing tests away from home? Butler might not be our keeper. And is he? if he's not our keeper, is he a specialist batsman? He needs a bit more consistency with the bat to be that specialist batsman. But for the rest of this series, I think he's going to keep his place in the team. Uh, what, do, what do you think, Will?
1: Yeah, he'll definitely keep his place in the side for the rest of this series now. Um, after that innings, and, and as you say, it it was a match-winning innings. His partnership with with Wokes, um, and it would be it would be remiss not to credit him for that because it was an amazing performance, and we wouldn't have won the game without him. I say we now claiming myself as an Englishman. Um, <laughs> yeah. With that said, I, I am a I am a Joss Butler hater, and, and fairly unapologetic about it. Um, I'm, I'm giving giving Dan the two one lead on the podcast today. Thank you, mate. <laughs> um, Glenn's given us the the beautiful stat angle there. I, I saw another great stat on Twitter, which I can't um, think of off the top of my head exactly, but it it showed something like um, against pace his his keeping was roughly average, but against spin it was the worst of all the sort of major Test playing nations keepers, um, and he hadn't got a stumping in some ridiculous amount of time. So that's been consistently a problem. Um, and I think when you think about keeper batsmen, who are really in the side to be batsmen, but keep because they're there, I do think he is very fortunate that Johnny Bairstow seems to have been sort of shoved aside and, and, yeah. and doesn't look anywhere near getting his test place back, while Butler can't even get dropped for one game. Um, and that is one of the weird things that I, I think with the whole Butler saga, I think it almost doesn't help him that he's been regarded as, as near to undroppable. Obviously, folks have come in every now and again, but, you know, obviously with the lockdown disrupted things, but there is a fair amount of cricket cricket being played. You can be dropped for a game without it being, this is your last game for England, this is a disaster. You know, and I think there are times, particularly this summer, where he he could have been and should have been taken out of the team um, for probably both a better keeper and, as Glenn said, probably someone who could average just the same with the bat. Um, The other thing that I will say on this particular innings, just to, this may be unfair but just have a, a little a little digger Joss <laughs> he didn't finish the deal he didn't he di- it was a match winning performance but he didn't win the game for England. and as I'll, I'll quote Glenn I'll quote you back to yourself even when Pakistan were chasing 10 or so runs there were wickets falling and it looked like they could or, or sorry England were chasing the last 10 runs I should say Pakistan was still getting wickets and it looked like they still could have won the game at that point if they'd got another 10 20 30 runs on the scoreboard, even with Josh Butler's innings, Pakistan probably still would have won the game. Um, and you could tell when he was going off the field that he looked disappointed in himself because he hadn't got the team over the line. Um so that's not that is that is slightly being 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 unkind. He did put in a brilliant innings and it will he will stay in the side for the uh for the rest of this series, no doubt. But especially as I'm sure we'll get on to with the Stokes announcement, there are going to be interesting interesting questions to be had and I don't think we should suddenly regard this as, as complete vindication for Butler.
0: Uh, I think that's a fascinating take on the butler dismissal. That's the first time I've heard or even maybe thought of that. Um, but I see your point, definitely. Um, it was a reverse sweep he tried and maybe succeeded in three or four times in the innings and the ball was a bit fuller. I'll let him off because I am on Will's side of just not being our our guy. But I am going to now spend a minute backing how amazing these two innings were. Um, his partnership with Pope. At the, in the third test against the West Indies I thought was him showing a real professional side trusting his defence which had looked so shaky for a long time that was then carried over to the first things hit and he only made 35 but it's on the stat sheet isn't great for his average doesn't look great but it was such an important 35 in such an important partnership uh, and then the knock to take us to not quite take us over the line was such a counter-attacking knock that we haven't seen him do for a long time I feel like fans and pundits want to see him don uh, the white ball shirt, the colored shirt, when we come out to play for a test match and he, he doesn't do it enough. And at 117 for five with the spinners on, that was the perfect time to do it. Um, I think all England fans had lost hope by then. So they didn't really mind if he chucked the bat at it and it worked. And it, without that rate of scoring, he wouldn't have pushed the field back to allow Chris Wokes to pick his way off and make his way into the innings. And, sort of throw Azar Ali off his own game there. So I think his knocks with the bat was so unbelievably professional that he has to be our guy for the rest of the series. Like you said, Will, I think we can all agree on that. Um, This was the first time for me his keeping had been born into question. Um, For me, he'd never done anything glaringly bad. And that left me thinking, it doesn't matter between him and Bairstow. I want the one that bats better, which is probably Butler. So you're like, okay, and then um, the missed nick of best bowling was so slight off the bat that I can't believe he missed the ball. That's what frustrated me with that one. And the stumping, I think he was in his own head by that point and had gone. What I find fascinating, Glenn, I, want, I wonder what you think about this, is that he thought without the runs, that would have been his last test match for England. And like Will said, we don't have a wealth of wicketkeeping keeping options at the minute. Johnny Berso's ability to play around a straight ball in the test match <laughs> arena frightens me so he's well away from it um folks hasn't played in a while and they're not letting him go to Surrey to play so I don't quite know where he has he's at with his cricket at the minute to come straight into a team so the fact that Butler thought that might have been his last ever game for England if he hadn't made runs um frightens me somewhat I, I don't know what to think about that
2: uh, yeah I think it shows I think number one the pressure he puts on himself because he always wants to perform and one of the commentators for Sky mentioned as he was batting in that in that final innings for England, that he wants to be in this test team, right? He could quite easily say, I'm exceptionally good at T20 and ODIs. I will just do that because he's got an exceptional career just doing those two forms of the game. There is really no need, I guess, for him to play all three, um, all three forms of the game, except the fact that he really wants to. And I do think he puts in 100%. And I think he was probably disappointed at himself um just briefly looking at the stats like so besto for example he was he was averaging since the first of january 2019 his average of the bat is 18 which is atrocious oh. and we've seen best struggle as you said dan with the straight ball <laughs> which isn't, <laughs> isn't something you really want to do at test level so besto was probably for the time being and at least for the for, for the couple, next couple of months going forward basically frozen himself out of this test side so then we looked at other potentials and i think you were spot on i think folks is the is the person that we're all thinking about but that lack of match sharpness and fitness the fact that he's been you know with the bubble and not been playing county cricket is really key here um he's got an excellent average when he has played for he's played five tests um for england batted 10 times got an average of 41 and he has got a as we know an english 100 so he is a really excellent option and his first class average is 38 which is really high as well and i think the bottom line is consensus seems to be that is a better keeper than Butler. I think most people probably agree on that. So there is a case to bring folks in, but now doesn't feel like the right time. And I think all we can do as a bottom line is give Butler the rest of the series, give him another two games. There's going to be four innings um, and plenty more chances and see how he does. And if he can really turn this around, I think we should commit to him for the for the next way series. But if this was a blip, this this game itself, and he does kind of fall back into old habits... I think maybe it might be time to give to give a real opportunity to Ben Folks and say, we're giving you a series, bat well, keep well, and you might keep your place.
0: It's fascinating. I think in the first or second, it would have been the first podcast reviewing the first test of the West Indies series. Butler was struggling with the bat, but I think we couldn't quite come to a, an option to replace him. So we said, yep. give him the series. We're here now saying, give him the series. I think he's played two match-winning innings that weren't necessary if they hadn't dropped those chances um so again we're in the same spot with him um and it's interesting how stokes will be playing for the next two test matches that he will likely be the vice captain will do you think his hierarchy in the england setup regardless of what format i think his hierarchy in the england setup is very high second or third in line Mm. to, to the captains in the team do you think that's protecting his place slightly
1: I don't know. I think probably the selectors <clears throat> do just genuinely think he's a really useful option to have batting in at number seven and do exactly what he did today or, or yesterday. Um, I don't. It, it's a weird one. Can you Pakistan might be asking themselves the same question: Can you drop your, your captain or vice captain? Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know exactly when this change happened or, or why it happened, but it is interesting that Stokes went back in as test vice captain when Butler had been doing that that role. When Stokes was out for his naughty bits, so I, I I do wonder maybe if that if that shows that they don't fully back him.
0: It, it's interesting that we're saying this after he's played two match-winning knocks. In my yeah. opinion, he he can't do right in my eye. Will and I think you're on my side there. It's great to have a guest on that's got me one up on Glenn. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, his partner in crime for that uh, second innings partnership. We are the Chris Wokes podcast. We called this before it was cool and it was okay, and it was fashionable that ultimately he is an undroppable man and is underappreciated in this England side. Uh, player of the match, I think mostly for his, his 85 in the second innings. Uh, Will, I'll come to you first because you're sort of new to the Chris Wokes fandom. You might not be in it, and so I just want to ask you, where were you at with Chris Wokes? And, you know, he, he'd averaged nothing before this innings, but he showed us what he can do. And how good is he with the ball? Give me your opinion on him.
1: I'm I'm all in. I'm joining the Chris Wokes Get podcast. In there. I'm here for it. Um, he is the James Milner of cricket. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and I I, I I completely agree with you, Dan. He is he is unjobbable at this point, which is pretty amazing when you consider the talent and the and the number of Test wickets and and the sort of hype behind someone like Jofra Archer that you've got competing with him. He is impossible to drop at this stage.
0: Great. It's great to have you on board as well. We're, we're three for three on that and. I might have had to stop the call if you'd said otherwise. <laughs> so thank you for saying that. Uh, Glenn, you've been here for now in our fifth episode. Give me your take on on Wokes in this test match. And is he ahead? Of, is, is he on the team sheet earlier than Joe Root at this stage?
2: Um, so I've just gone into Dan and I shared Google Drive, which is just stats about Chris Wokes. <laughs> <laughs> um and interestingly, yeah, he's taken more ten wicket hauls in test than Bob Willis, more fifers in test than Andrew Flintoff, um, and his bowling average in England is better than Anderson or Broad. So wh- Fantastic what do we say about that? What I what I find really interesting, um, especially in this context of of Stokes um, you know, not being able to play, unfortunately, for family reasons, the next two tests is In a year ago, the the easy substitution for Stokes would have been Wokes because he wouldn't have been that guaranteed name on the team sheet. And I think he really has played himself um, into a very secure position, at least for the rest of this series, because we know he's much more consistent at home than perhaps away tours. Um, I love that you pointed to his it is really poor batting average before that match winning innings. It was around the six mark, which is pretty horrendous. There's no defending that. So I've always I've always viewed him as a bowler, especially in recent times, as a bowler that chips in with the occasional useful runs. Um, and looking at the game, like he bowled really well again. You know, he, he got his two um, very useful wickets in the first innings, um, and then got another two in the second. But his economy, especially in that in the Pakistan second innings, was 2.2. So he's bowling really tightly. He doesn't give much away. One thing I'd say about Chris Wokes says he doesn't bowl many bad balls. With Archer and even Broad, you expect one to be too short or to stray onto the legs. But Wokes, when he finds that sweet spot, you know, just outside, hitting that four-fifth stump, he just carries on and he just he could just bowls. His economy in the first innings was 2.15. So it was the best for England. So not only is he getting wickets, he's not leaking runs, which I love. And as you said, I mean his it really was a almost career-defining innings in the fact that he got he he stayed in I think to speak to your point Will uh, which I do think is worth saying about Butler not seeing it out it's unfortunate it's harsh but I think it's a fair point Wokes did that he stuck around Mm. he got his 84 he got the winning runs and I think he's just in exceptional form and we're big fans of him as you may have guessed (laughs) (laughs) do you think Dan
1: that that, that Wokes has done enough given his reputation for, for bowling much better in England do you think he's doing enough now that he'll keep his place on whenever the next tour is abroad
0: well, that was good. I was going to come to that because if he keeps this up, right, he's undroppable for the first test, wherever that may be, um, abroad again. And he's been to Australia a few times and he's just not the kind of bowler that works on a quick, bouncy wicket. Um, I don't know what it is about him abroad, but he's definitely got his place on that on that tour. I think even if he has a bad next two tests, um, I think he's done enough in the sort of psyche of England fans and England selectors to to make us value his place in the team massively i still think batting at seven is a place too high for him um i know he's got a test hundred uh, at lords which i'm sure is great for him and this knock i'd argue was better than that knock of, for its place in the game unfortunately he's an aston villa fan uh, a <laughs> birmingham city fans so this kind of it takes a shine off him slightly uh but yes he will be there on that next tour and I hope to God he performs well because ultimately he is going to be the man who takes over from broader Anderson, whoever goes first. Um, if they don't both go at the same time, which I, d- I doubt they will, um, he'll be the next one to take over as that sort of swing bowler who puts it on a length. He's not going to bowl quick and his batting is just such a huge bonus. You know, his career average is, is hanging around the 29, 30 mark and that's fine. I don't want any more from him than that. I wasn't, angry at him for averaging six over the last few innings because he can play like he did yesterday and do uh, perf- uh, perform and, and bring us a, a match winning knock um i mentioned jimmy and broadie there um again my good mates jimmy and broadie um anderson is who i'd like to come on to next and if we could sort of move into selection for the next test for england with, with the mm-hmm. permutations that we've got Anderson's averaging over 70 with the ball um, this summer, so you know the four test matches we played. Wicketless in this game, looking a bit grumpy every now and again. Um, he had a, he had a catch dropped, Stokes dropped, uh, I think it was Baba, um, off of his bowling. Bit grumpy, bit tired. <laughs> you know the Bernie Lara got a few useful runs, but is he the one to go in the next game? I feel like this this bowling attack um, needs freshening up. Will I, I wonder what you think about that?
1: Yeah, again, I think in some ways it's, it's similar to the Butler situation in that you can be dropped for a game without it being the end of the world. Um, and we do have so many good bowling options at this point that it, he can happily have a game out and come back for the for the third test. Um, and of the of the guys who are in the mix, especially we'll come on to with the Stokes situation, he is probably, if any of the bowlers come out, he looks the most likely to um, at the moment. Having said that, for this amount of time that they've basically been playing um the sort of the five main bowlers they've been winning games so they may just choose to stick all of them in and, and not change a winning formula
0: Then what do you think for the pace attack for the next test match that starts on friday are they going to drop anybody like will said we've won the games with this sort of larger attack is the loss of stokes going to change that at all uh, you know, is Curran or Sussex's Ollie Robinson or Mark Wood gonna get another shout and we'll come to Archer as a separate issue in the minute, but he's obviously part of this bigger discussion. What do you think, if any, changes might be made? It's been really tough for selectors
2: for consecutive games now. There seems to be a couple of headaches, especially as we've said with Stokes dropping out and Stokes actually bowling and getting wickets um for England in the last test, which we weren't necessarily expecting. Um, Anderson, he only got one wicket in this game, which he, you could see he was disappointed. You could see he was frustrated as we discussed And His economy wasn't particularly good. You know, he was over, over mid to high threes over the two, over the two innings. And he just didn't look as if he was at his best, not a huge amount of maidens either. So it really was a case of, I think the Pakistan players probably noticed that he was slightly off his best. Um, and especially as he's not bowling at these high, high, high eighties and nineties, he's always hitting the mid eighties. If it's not moving, there is always opportunity to attack him. I don't want to necessarily criticise Anderson, because um, as, as Will pointed out, you know this is a winning bowling unit, but I think we should be very cautious that we don't do what West Indies did um, following a victory in the first game, which is keep the entire bowling attack, especially if they're not necessarily in nick and fitness, because that destroyed them for the second and third tests. Playing Gabriel when he wasn't fit was a disaster, and it was totally the wrong decision, and it made me and Dan run out of metaphors for a bad back. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> We were, we were grasping by the third test. Um, yeah, so there's lots to be said. I think Anderson could take a rest for the next. I personally would give him a break for the next test, and I wouldn't frame it as he's being dropped. I'd frame it as we need you in full fitness for the third game. I think, I know Dan's got a lot to say about Archer. There's a good discussion to be had there in a moment. I think Archer could potentially rotate with Wood, um, and I think it would be Curran. I'd be looking at bringing Curran in to fill that, to plug that bat, uh, that bowling gap that stokes and a bit of batting that Stokes leaves us with. So I would make changes to the bowling attack for fitness levels and to ensure they don't get burnt out, if if nothing else.
0: I, I'm there too, and I think it, Will's made this point a couple of times. I think it's a good point to make, that it's OK like to be dropped. You know, Let's normalise being dropped, guys. It's fine. There's such a wealth of um, talent in this England squad, and there's so many tests being thrown back-to-back that... Being dropped doesn't mean, oh gosh, is that Anderson retiring? Is that Butler never playing again? No, it's just they're getting rested, especially with bowlers. So yeah, I'm on the rest Anderson train. Let's come to Joffre Archer, who we always need to talk about him and have a couple, you know, slight grievances with him. We spoke about this when we started recording today's podcast, that if we took the speed gun away from Archer, would that help us enjoy him more as a bowler? I think, a lot of fans and pundits are looking for him to bowl the 90-mile-an-hour, 95-mile-an-hour deliveries, which he simply wasn't reaching this game. And Shaheen Shah freedy was easily hit in 90, and Archer came out, I think it was on the second day, and said, this wasn't a pitch to put your back out on, i.e. I'm not going to put my back out trying to bowl 95 when it isn't really going to benefit my bowling. He took the first wicket of the Test match, um, a wonderful nip-backer after he'd pushed back the opening bats with a couple of bouncers. Will, I wonder what you think about Archer, and if we took the speed gun away and just analysed his bowling for what it is, you know, often very skillful and a very talented bowler, would we look at him differently? Is it all about pace? Should we just ignore that entirely? Yeah, I think
1: it is a, a weird situation with Archer because of the the way that he came into the side, which is which is truly bizarre. Um, and to look back on it, particularly if you're someone like David Willey who got dropped as a result, it is it is deeply weird that, that in the run up to a World Cup, England are re- relying on someone to suddenly qualify for sort of English sporting citizenship, if you like, to make up an expression. And like as that. Result, given, given that that's probably the, the first time that the mo- majority of England fans heard of him and then saw him play in that World Cup, we probably did expect. Not necessarily too much, but as you said, expect a different kind of player. Expect 90 miles an hour every delivery. And as you say, that, that's not needed. He took four wickets in the match. He's never really had long periods without getting any wickets or looking really poor or conceding loads of runs. Um, and yet he does seem to consistently get flack and get criticism for his performances, regardless of that. Um, whether that is because people want to see the pace and, and therefore wherever he dips below that, they criticise, I don't know. Whether it's because... I suspect there's, there's still slight sort of grievances behind the way he came into the side and, and slight politics behind it and slight, um, you know, slightly xenophobic. Is he is he really English? Does he really deserve his place in this side? I think does, not not with everybody, obviously, but but does kind of enter that discussion around the amount of criticism that he gets. Um, but looking at the results of his performance and the number of wickets he's got, I think you'd have to say he's been a success in the England test side.
0: It's fascinating to see that he takes four wickets the same amount as Chris Wokes, but the fact his speeds weren't Mm -hmm. up there means those four wickets aren't quite as valuable for some reason. And I agree that the sort of circumstances in which he was brought into the side, i.e. he's quick, therefore he's in, has made us think that that has to be the reason he's in for the future and for any other game. Glenn, what's your position on the Arch situation? I know we talk about it every podcast pretty much now, but it is such a big part of the conversation around the England team at the minute.
2: Yeah, it's a fluid situation, but I can only echo what Will really eloquently put. I think there's always the the worry that he's being held to a different standard because of how he entered the team, that he's held to a standard that other bowlers aren't. Um, and yeah, I think there absolutely are um, roots of xenophobia in that. And that because he's this, you know, extremely exciting bowler, that he has to reach these speeds that we don't expect from other people, perhaps except Mark Wood. I think the only fair comparison point would be to look at Mark Wood and Jofra Archer and say and compare those two. I don't think it's right to say, you know, broad Anderson Archer. They're different types of bowlers. And I think yeah, as 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 Dan and Jonathan Agnew put in the in the article he wrote today, if we try and rethink his role in the team that he isn't necessarily just a pace merchant that he that he's a box of tricks. You know, he does. He has a great slower ball. He varies pace and um, length, especially he can bang it in short. But as you saw, you know, I think it was when he got his wicket in the Pakistan second innings when he got um, when he bowled um, the tail end. It was just pitching it up and quick. And he has so much to offer. And again, the only reason I'm thinking perhaps to, to bring Wood in in place of him for the second test is to avoid this burnout, is to avoid this. Um, you know, expectation that doesn't seem necessarily realistic, and I think you're spot on with the wokes comparison. Like they got the same amount of wickets, and they're going to be talked about in very different ways. Uh,
0: quick word then, Will. I think Glenn's coming in for Wood in the next test. I think I agree. Um, for like again, it's not you're being dropped. It's it's burnout thing. Archer will play the last three tests. Uh, two tests now. Let's bring Wood in for a bit. Who was coming out of South Africa with great form, played all right in the first test, and rested. Uh, are you Wood or Archer for the second test?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with bringing Wood in at all. I think it's it's interesting the 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 quote that you had, Dan, from from Joffrey saying this isn't the pitch to put your back out. I maybe he was just he was just having a laugh and 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 whatever. But I wonder if there's also something in there of him being a bit worried that he's going to get overplayed yeah. and, and feeling the need to save himself. So absolutely yeah. wouldn't object to Wood coming in.
0: I think I think Joffrey's also there saying, you know, stop asking me to bowl this ridiculous amount of pace all the time. You know, I'm getting wickets, doing what I'm doing. Um, so I hope you stick strong to that, and yeah, I, I, I expect the ECB and the selectors to to put wood in for this next game. Let's stick to England selection, then come back to Pakistan before we finish on their batting lineup. Today it was announced that Stokes won't be playing in the next two tests. Uh, he's going back to New Zealand for family reasons. So we wish him all the best with whatever's going on there. It's some pretty uh, private, rightly so, from the ECB and Stokes himself. So that as as the team looks, that we've lost our number four batsman there. He bowled and obviously got himself two wickets because he's Ben Stokes. <laughs> so we, lose that, we lose that side as well. And I was expecting him to come into the second test as a bowler and us to reshuffle to a more balanced-looking England side. With the loss of Stokes, Glenn, who are you expecting to see come in in a batting frame? You mentioned Curran uh, on the bowling uh, attack to sort of shore up mm-hmm. the batting as well as rest Anderson. So who do you see coming in on the batting front and, and you are, are you on the Curran, the Curran train for the next game?
2: Yeah, I think Zach Crawley is the obvious choice to come in, um, can play up the order, can bat third, we can drop Root back down to fourth where he prefers batting. I think that's the yeah, that's the sensible um not necessarily like for like. He's a very different cricketer to Stokes, um and of course it's just a batsman, but I think he has test experience recently. Um, he hasn't blown us away. I don't think there's a reason he isn't in the, uh, if everyone's fit and everyone's here, he's not in the conventional starting 11, but this is an excellent opportunity for him to really, you know, make his mark on the England team and to dem- demand a place. So I like Crawley coming in. And yeah, I would also go with Wood and Curran, uh, which gives us a bowling attack of Broad, Wood, Curran, Wokes, and then Bess. Although I know we've done this before, but I would like a one minute chat starting perhaps Will about has Don Best done enough? Because I personally would prefer Jack Leach in this bowling, in this bowling attack.
1: Yeah, I was I was just thinking about coming on to Bess, actually. Um, I still don't think he's done enough to nail down his places like you are the England's spinner, and you're going to play every game. I'm still at this point, I think the country's only member of the Moeen Alley fan base. I know I'm sure he's in the different bubble and whatever, so he probably can't come in. But um you know, I, I Moeen's not done. Moeen's not finished in the test side, I, I believe. Um, but no, I'd, I'd li- I I'd agree with you that I'd like to see Crawley and Curran both come in because um, I think you need, it's credit to Stokes, you, you need two batsmen coming in, or two people who can bat to replace what he does in the side, and with Curran's bowling kind of making up for that as well. Which for me probably does mean you let Best make way as well if you're going to rest Anderson. So I guess that gives you a bowling attack of Wood, Curran, Broad, and Wokes.
0: And Archer then? Wait, who am I resting for Archer again?
1: You're bringing Wood in for Archer. Okay. You're,
0: keep- oh. you're keeping
1: Wokes and Broad. And then you're bringing Curran in for best. And that gives you a longer okay. bowling attack. Okay.
0: The best front and the Moeen Alley front. Moeen, is, Moeen can't doesn't quite know where the right end of the bat is at the minute so he is so far away from the test bubble thank goodness for that don't break um, my heart that. Brett I, I'm the biggest Moeen Ali fan in this room right now of zero people so it, it's fine best <laughs> bowls some real dross um, at the yeah it was a 10 of the Pakistani first innings and he just yep. lost all his length and all his line and all of a sudden I think it was when they were like 190 for four no yeah, well, I and mean, they just got 30 or 40 runs really quickly off his bowling and whoever was partnering with him at their end. And that lack of control really worried me. And, and the wickets he got were from batsmen slogging him. Uh, I know oh. the opener was dropped off him, Butler dropped him. But yeah, Best hasn't, I think Will Spahn hasn't done enough to make him the number one spinner locked in for England. I don't think we're blessed with spinning options at the minute. And Jack Leach seems like a slightly negative option in, in the way that is he, has he got much of a test career ahead of him? Again, Pakistanis don't have many left-handers in their lineup, so having a left-arm spinner that takes the ball away from a right-hander wouldn't be a bad option for Root to have, along with himself, the right-arm spinner who I, I think is more useful than he puts on, or that we talk about. So I'm on with the current. I'm I'm Cohen for Anderson, Crawley for Stokes, uh, and Wood for Archer. So Best keeps his place. I just don't see, I don't see Leach coming in I just don't I don't know why I think Bess needs the next two games but there are a couple cracks showing in his armory and his batting isn't doing enough for me either which he always calls underrated I think mm-hmm. he's quite big on his own batting and I'm not, I'm not there on that just yet so I don't know what you guys think about the spinning thing as well
1: I think it's worth just mentioning that we've possibly because we've only had West Indies in Pakistan this summer, we're kind of facing recent form on not a huge amount of cricket. But the West Indies batsmen can't really play spin. And Pakistani mm. batsmen really can play spin. Um so I, I personally I wouldn't I don't think it's a disaster to just go into into a match without a main spinner and you have Root there if you need him.
0: It's interesting because the whole dropping the spinner thing, I think Root is good and then an extra paceman would do well you know, even on this spitting wicket that Yasir Shah was getting balls to do all sorts out of, Bess wasn't there doing that at all. He's a mm-hmm. conventional mm-hmm. spinner, isn't he? So, you know, Glenn is. Where are you on maybe just dropping the spinner altogether? And if all of a sudden the pitch is ragging, we bring Root on, who can turn the ball? And even if he doesn't, isn't effective, our pace bowlers are so useful against batsmen who aren't good in English, aren't as good in English conditions. It doesn't matter if we haven't got the spinner.
2: Yeah, it's a good talking point. I mean, Best did bowl 32 overs across the two innings, so he, that's a substantial amount of deliveries. Um, I feel like he does take the pressure off. Um, I think having a frontline spinner a takes the pressure off um, off the pace bowlers, especially if we're going with if we are going with four seamers, and b gives us that option, that variation, that if the pitch changes and we didn't expect it before the game we always have that spinner ready but at the same time you made the point Dan you, you snatched it from me i was going to compare best to uh, to yashir and the the pakistan attack and it's just a world of difference it's a total yeah. golf in in energy and excitement. I don't want to talk so, but I really do admire Bess as a player. I think he's really useful. I like him a lot. I don't want to seem like I'm just hammering away at him, but he doesn't have that wow factor that the Pakistan team brings to this game, right? I, and you know, I've I've watched him bowl. I watched him bowl substantial spells during this game, and never did he really look like getting a wicket. He looked like a very tidy bowler. He flighted it well, but I watched that 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 part of the of the match when he did lose control, and that was hard to see because he kept dropping it short. And because he's not turning it a huge amount conventionally, if he drops it short, you know it's free runs for the opposition. So it's a tough one. I, I mean, yeah, the, the leech, the leech question is, I think you're right, Dan, to say let's look to the future. Is he going to be here in three years? Probably not. Should we put some faith in Bess? Potentially, yes. But just a just a Will's point in terms of in terms of dropping him. So I've got a starting eleven, which I think we are all agreed on, of Burns, Sibley, Crawley, Root. Pope, Butler, Wokes, Curran, Wood, Broad, and then we've got Bess in there. Who would you, sorry, Will, who are you bringing in potentially for Bess?
1: Have you got, you've got Curran and Crawley both in there? Yeah.
0: I, I think know. you need an extra pacer out of that. If you're dropping Bess, you're you're keeping either are we Archer keeping our, are or we keeping Anderson Archern or bringing then? Ollie Robinson in. or? Let's exactly. keep this.
1: I think you keep Archer then in that case. Because he, he did. He did substantially more damage than than best in, in this in this test and maybe you, you good to rest one of one of uh, of of or archer but maybe not both of them
0: I think that's still a legitimate option to rest and you're resting one of them so they'll come back in the next and you're dropping yeah. a spin and having a you know a really powerful pace attack I think in, in this in these instances where England have, have played the extra bowler in the last two tests which feels quite alien i think every all england pundits and fans are ever so slightly uncomfortable because we want that extra batsman in case of collapse which we've seen in both innings but this attack is guaranteed 20 wickets and a quick 20 wickets as well so why not why not keep that do you know what i mean there's a case for it i think i think yeah i think will's absolutely right to say you know what
2: let's Let's stick with the pace attack and see what happens. Um, I, I just worry about if, if we are bowling fourth, if Pakistan are batting on, on, a, on a turning, breaking
0: up fourth, um, fourth innings pitch, I worry about not having that option of a spinner. The weather down south, right across the country, we're in a small heat wave now for those listeners outside the country, including Glenn. What's the temperature <laughs> in Wyoming at the minute? Because it is a roasting 35 or so here.
2: It's thirty every day for about
0: the last month, and it
2: will continue for the next month.
0: So I've just oh. I've just got acclimatized slightly oh, well, to it. that's there. nice. Because I thought it was always snowing we'll, out there. Yeah, meanwhile <laughs> could move today. I think we both agreed on that. Um, the pitch in Manchester was dry and breaking up quickly. I'm sure it will be the same at the Aegis Bowl uh, when they come there next Friday. So there is definitely a case for that. Should we have a quick word for Pakistan going into the next test before we before we end today? I'm I'll, I'll, I'll straight up. I don't know much of the depth of their squad. They look so good that test, I doubt they'll change anything, but is there a player, Glenn, I'll start with you, you want to see a bit more from, or are you expecting a player who's sh- shone in this test to go the extra mile in the second test?
2: I am just really excited to watch hopefully this 11 play again. I think mm-hmm. the pressure is on on the captain to bat better. I think that's probably we've we've we don't need to go into it again, but we that's the player we've highlighted as potentially the batting weak link. I think that the bowlers offer something different each of the pace Um, each of the pace attack really comes at it from a different angle you know we've got the variation we've got left arm right arm slightly quicker and as discussed you know you've got two really decent leg spinners and Yasir I think was probably the bowler of the match for me in terms of entertainment in terms of quality and very much in terms of attitude you know he really kept going and trying variations Um, so yeah I think I would probably again I'm going to agree with you down there Cal corners knowledge, unfortunately, of touring teams is second eleven isn't where it should be for a podcast. We're going to be open about that. But um, yeah, I would like to see this eleven battle again, and I think they've got a great chance of winning the second match.
0: Well, who excites you in this Pakistan team? Yeah,
1: but I'm, not, I'm also not going to claim that there's anyone on the on the Pakistani bench that I want to see come in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think again, you're looking at Barbara Azam to hopefully go on and make a big big score. it would be really nice to see him really shine uh, in a big test series. Um, And then I think he he showed flashes in that game, but was probably the third most effective of the Pakistan bowlers. But the 17-year-old Naseem Shah, um, he's clearly got serious pace when he wants it and and, and real talent. So I'd like to see him um, take a few more wickets and bowl a bit better um, than he showed in the second innings. And I think he might still have a part to play in the series. And then, as Glenn said, Yaseer Shah is the one where if you're if you're quote unquote working from home and you've got the, the match on in the background, he's the one where you look up and you stop working. Uh,
0: and he's watching bo- bowl. Yeah, he's box office. He's made for you know furloughed workers or you know everyone deciding the office isn't there anymore. He's there for the <laughs> two o'clock. I'll have an hour off and watch him bowl some leg spin. Um, and I agree about Nass- uh, Nassim Shah as well. He bowled a couple of filthy deliveries. Um, you know, a, a lot of it wasn't perhaps as powerful as a bass and um, the other pacer whose names uh, escape me now Uh, but he's got something in there that is really going to excite over his next two games so we've got a great test series coming up the next game at the Aegeus Bowl is on Friday the 14th Um, it's just a great test series set up Uh, Glenn do we have tweets of the week before we round this off? Um, yeah,
2: and just one point on this on the on the who to bring in potentially for the Pakistan team. <laughs> I don't think anyone else <laughs> in the got? country. Well, no one else in the country <laughs> knows because as was on wisdom earlier, and they've got an excellent article which is called um, Fawad Alam, who is the player. Should Pakistan bring in the veteran for the Southampton tests? And this bloke hasn't played cricket, and I quote, hasn't played Test cricket in 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> And I
0: think he's, he's the first guy off the Pakistani bench, and he's he's why he's knocking on the door. I think he's the kit man at this point. Yeah, and they
2: just remembered he's still was knocking around. If he did come into the team, and they're making a case for it, it's a really good article on um, on Wisdom. Um, and if he did come into the team, it would be the second longest gap between your first test and your next test it would, he would be uh, he would be almost record-breaking in that in that regard because 11 years is a long time um he did play very well um you know a decade ago <laughs> I, I can't speak too much to cricket in the in the early uh, listen, 2000s
0: wazi Akram's in the sky box, bar <laughs> in, a, in some white yeah. some, and why Hit not at it. this stage I'm
1: um, just on that on that point of, of blasting the past veterans I was just wondering what's happened to it to it uh, to Mohammed Amir is he fully gone um, and if you if you if you google that the, the first article that comes up is called I was screaming on the inside why Mohammed Amir quit test cricket
0: well uh, the beauty of this current <laughs> Pakistan bowling partnership is Shaheen Shah Afridi screams Mohammed Amir 2010 and Mohamed Abbas screams Mohamed Asif 2010. Mm-hmm. It's such a similar uh, opening partnership. And God, Mohamed Asif was unplayable in that, you know, test match that ultimately cost him his career. Is he still playing? Is he still, is he still around? Because Mohamed Amir's re- retired from test cricket, at least.
1: You might need to add corruption of the week to uh, tweet of the week. <laughs>
0: Um, I'll get onto the tweet of the week in a second and can
2: I just can I just give you one more line from this outstanding article on Wisdom which has clearly been written on a napkin in a bar <laughs> with, a, with a requirement they, they're needed
0: they are discussing the, the depth that, uh, the extent that we are now the, fa- you know, the fa- one guy I can't argue that it's badly researched
2: because they put the, a lamb the, the, the elder the elder statesman batsman we're talking about he impressed with a and this is not impressive he impressed with a 150 ball 43 <laughs> <which> <laughs> in the intra-squad game i mean that is
0: does not that define oh, i might that boring in an intra-squad game Your <laughs> I, know team be I know yeah his, his run rate is like 20
2: <laughs> so he bored that he bored the, the selectors fell asleep and they woke up three hours later and saw he had a 43 and they're like get him back in um did that and take him all 11 years <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's been four runs a year and um He's also spent, and I quote, a couple of years in the Lancaster League in 2017 and 2018, suggesting the conditions may not be as much a factor as once feared. So he's played a bit of club cricket over the last couple of years. Sorry, who's, trying... oh. who
1: is calling for this guy to come back in? <laughs> yeah, it man, I wanted, man I wanted
2: plays
0: to club get. <laughs> Let's call him up. What's this all about?
2: It is um, the well known journalist Wisdom Staff. I think they were too oh. embarrassed to put a name to it, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Big group effort on that one.
2: I love it. That's my art. Okay, that's article of the week. I feel like yeah. we can we can make okay, that so
0: about right. article of the week. Um, no ball nonsense of the week from 2010. Yep. Speaking of no balls, by the way, actually, sorry to bring this up so late, but this was the first test in which the third umpire is looking mm-hmm. at no balls, and I found the delay really strange. I didn't like that. Um, I like how effective it is on actually calling no balls, but it was really weird to see a, something happen and then it will pan to the umpire, you know, with, with his arm to his side. It's probably the way forward, right? Because they miss so many in the West Indies series.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was really... I'm glad you said that, Dan. I was so confused because they were... (laughs) When they went to DRS... They were saying it's a fair ball before they did the check, and yeah. I was like, I like, missing it. I was like, like <laughs> did I you think kind of concentrate? The whole time
0: they were just they were just skipping that bit out?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't care anymore. So I'm very <laughs> glad you've uh, you've answered that. That's interesting. Um, and one thing just on delays. Um, it was weird. Obviously, when Butler Butler was out in the um, towards the end of the game, there was a really big delay on DRS, and I thought that was really interesting. Like the players were waiting, batsmen mm. hanging around. And that isn't something you see very often, which I think, A, shows how good DRS is usually, and B, how strange it is when things do change like that. It really is quite jarring for the spectator. Yeah.
1: Well, it was it was when they were trying to go to ball tracking, wasn't it? And it just, you yeah. know, whoever was doing the tech. And- yes, and- is. <laughs> but that,
0: that is the first time in a while I've seen DRS struggle. So like you said, I think it's it's a comment on how good it is and how sort of, melded into the game it is now and we just it, it runs so smooth <laughs> I think
2: it? he was he was writing a, an article about Fawad lamp for, for Wisdom and like finishing up his Lancaster League stats um, alright on to on to tweet of the week I've got one from I think it's our first one from an England player it's from Stuart Broad and it's a wonderful photo of Chris Wokes thumbs up beer in hand and the caption is he deserves that beer dot 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 at Chris Wokes little clap emoji I mean you can't beat oh, that for that's
0: a, it. Look that's it lovely look at that. They just love each other and, and rightly so. And, and it's great to see an England great recognise another England great. Right. That is it for episode five of the Chris Wokes Brackets Cow Corner podcast. Uh, Will, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being 2-1 on Josh Butler and 3-0 on Chris Wokes. Um, we'll have you back on soon. Glenn, thank you as always for, you know, coming up with some fantastic stats and you know, making sure we record at 11.52 on a Sunday (laughs) evening Um, (laughs) with that old Wyoming time difference. We'll be back at the end of the next test, which if it's five days will be Tuesday next week. Um, Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon.